0: We have proclaimed some wonderful truth this morning. How about that creed? Is that good? I've known people who've spent their entire lives in church and didn't have a good understanding of the Trinity, of the the three in one. Uh, But that is uh, very good for us. To help our understanding and as we confess that Trinitarian doctrine together. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 16. Last week we began to work through these verses and today we'll pick back up. Once again we will read verses 16 through forty. And get the entirety of the story here. Uh, Before we read, let me tell you, some of you already know, just from me speaking this much already, something's not right. Uh, I have been tested for all the pertinent stuff, and I don't have any of the the bad stuff. So that's the first thing. Uh, I'm not contagious. I'm just stuffy. So uh, I'm going to keep something here to wet my whistle. And uh, we're going to read, if you'll follow along in your Bible, as I read Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. <coughs> Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and his household. And he brought them into his house, and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now, when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came to appeal to them. And when they brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them And departed. Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of all those who place their faith in you, we come this morning asking your blessing. We need you today. We need you in your office of prophet to help our ignorance. We need you in your office of priest for the forgiveness of sin. and We need you in your office of king to subdue us to yourself. This morning we pray that you would work these things in us for our good and for your glory. We ask for your kingdom's sake. Amen. I've said that I felt unable to articulate the brutality and the violence of the beating and imprisonment of Paul and Silas. I would like to share with you a few lines from John Eadie, a Scottish theologian who lived from 1810 to 1876. When commenting on this section of scripture, he wrote these words. The clothes of the preachers being torn off them by their lictors, they were scourged. Not as under Jewish law, by which the castigation was inflicted by thongs and limited to stripes, forty save one, but many blows inflicted by rods were laid upon them, with their backs unwashed and their wounds bleeding they were thrust into the inner prison. And to augment the torture, the raw and quivering flesh was further bruised, jagged, and irritated by the friction and unnatural posture as their feet were made fast in the stocks. Verse 25 says, it was at that time... It was about midnight when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. It was about midnight and we noted that this descriptor points not only to the physical darkness that would have surrounded them as it was night and they were not only in prison but in the deepest dungeon of the prison but also the descriptor is for the circumstance at that moment. The city of Philippi has only now had the gospel preached. Shining gospel light into such a dark place reveals the depth of spiritual need, the depth of the darkness that was so prevalent there. The slave masters and the crowd demonstrated the utter darkness that was in their heart by having a concern for money without any regard for this girl and her life. And again, by bringing about such an unfounded accusation and an illegal punishment on these men The jailer is in darkness, being lost and blind in his sin. It's midnight. And we may be tempted to say, well, Paul and Silas were also in a midnight moment. Their their preaching had had a little success, but it was only a little success at this time. They've been for days in the shadow of this demon possessed girl. Now, after releasing the girl from the grips of the demon, the crowds come upon them and they've been seized and beaten and now thrown into the deepest part of the prison. We may be tempted to say they are in darkness. As they suffer from their wounds in the stocks. But far from sitting there in darkness, Paul and Silas have a light that shines from within them. To be clear, the light of Christ. Not anything that is inherent in them, but the light of Christ is in them. They are singing and praying. There's a worship service going on. We all know what it is to see the goodness and the blessing of God and to be brought to a place of thanksgiving and praise and worship. But we learn here from the apostle that hardship, the difficult providences of God, can and should bring us to worship. Worship. Verse 25 says they were worshiping, singing praises and praying and the prisoners heard them. The prisoners heard them. This is an example where we may come to scripture and and walk away with more questions than we have answers. We only have what the scripture tells us. Some have assumed because they were singing and praying and the prisoners heard them. Some have assumed that Paul and Silas sang ancient psalms in the Hebrew language. And and what the prisoners observed, what they witnessed was the tone and tenor was the the heart, if you will, of these men in how they reacted. Perhaps that is the case. Another possibility is that Paul and Silas sang and prayed in a language that was understood by the prisoners. Perhaps they were singing hymns of praise spontaneously created, written right there in the moment. Perhaps they prayed so that the prisoners could understand, and this would mean that the prisoners were not only witnesses, to the the countenance, if you will, of Paul and Silas, but they were also witness to the message of what came forth from their lips. I tend to believe that the songs and the prayers were in a tongue known to the prisoners and the soldiers who guarded them. For one reason, the jailer knows When he asks, he knows that his greatest need is to be saved. He knows that. It seems there was at least a basic understanding of the message of these missionaries and what they had preached. It was during this prayer meeting and hymn sing that God sent this earthquake which shook the foundations of the prison broke open the prison doors and loosened the chains that bound all the prisoners. And at that moment, there seems to be nothing keeping the prisoners from walking out, from getting as far away from that place as possible. That's what we would expect them to do. that's exactly what the jailer assumed when he was awakened, startled by the earthquake and saw the prison doors open, he assumed they're all gone. So he drew his sword in order to take his own life. That may seem out of place to our modern minds. But it would have made perfect sense to a Roman, in the Roman world, it would have made perfect sense to a Roman soldier if the prisoners under his care under his watch had escaped then he would have been liable to the judgments that were due to them the practice of self-murder because that is what suicide is this practice of self-murder may have been to avoid a painful a, a more painful and torturous death that would have come at the hands of a military executioner. This kind of suicide may have been considered by him in that moment and by others in that culture to have been more honorable than to be found guilty or to be found incompetent as a soldier. And at this moment, after the concussion of the earthquake is felt, the jailer Guesses that the prisoners are all gone and immediately concludes that this is his best option. This is what he must do. Take his own life. But the voice of the apostle cried out. Let me just say here, how many criminals in that prison would have said nothing? Just let him him go ahead and do that. But the voice of the apostle, valuing human life, cries out, The life that the jailer was about to take was saved. The jailer was saved, and the jailer would be that day doubly saved. First, by the voice of Paul. Stop, we're all here. And secondly, the jailer would be saved By Jesus Christ. Paul calls out don't stop, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And this indicates not only that Paul and Silas were there, but that all we are all here. All the prisoners were present. And this may be because other prisoners had been changed. By the power of Jesus Christ. Having heard the testimony of Paul and Silas. In their prayers and in their singing. Perhaps they knew now. Of the power of the gospel. That had worked in their hearts. Or perhaps this was simply a special work of God. To keep lost men. There in the prison remaining. Whichever. They were all there. Verse 29 tells us the jailer calls for torches or or lights and rushed in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He rushed in. This shows urgency of mind and urgency in action as he rushes in. It's not just that he rushes in, but he trembles, he's trembling and falling down at the feet of these preachers. And this indicates something to us, something of the jailer's heart and attitude and his mind. The trembling, of course, it could just be nerves. I mean, in the last few minutes, this jailer has been awakened from a dead sleep by an earthquake, thought all the prisoners to be gone, Decided to take his own life and then stopped from that. Of course, he has every reason to shudder. Adrenaline is probably flowing through his body like no other time. He's trembling. But he's trembling and falls down at their feet. Now that tells us more. That tells us this is more than just nerves. He falls down at their feet only hours earlier he had been there either either by his own hand delivering a beating or at least under his authority they were beaten and imprisoned and put in stocks he had them thrown into the deepest prison he has no care for their wounds His actions indicated in every way that he saw these men as nothing more than violators, as nothing more than criminals, prisoners. But now he trembling falls down at their feet and he addresses them. Sirs, sirs. He, he uses a term that could mean master. Masters. Now, this is not an indication at this point of saving grace. Remember, he still has in his mind at this moment, I don't know how to be saved. I don't know what I must do to be saved. So this is not an indication of saving grace Yet, but it does show that God has brought things to pass in the jailer's life. He's brought the jailer to a crisis point where the jailer's thinking has been changed. This is not salvation, but it is God at work in his life. Christian, perhaps you can remember how God brought you, before he saved you, how he brought you to a place where your mind changed about some things. Where what you would not hear, would not listen to, would not stand for, you were then willing to hear. You were then willing to listen. Perhaps rescuing you in your lostness from drunkenness or from drugs, drug abuse where you could not hear and rescuing you from that sin he brought you to a place where you could hear where you could understand that's what's happening here with this jailer he brings him to a point where he wouldn't hear before but now he is trembling at their feet Verse 30, the jailer asks, Sirs, what must I do? What must I do? And they answer, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What must I do to be saved? For now, some of you will be disappointed. I will confess I'm a little disappointed. We're we're only going to be content this morning to read this. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. My plan is to preach one more message from this text, addressing the jailer's question and the answer of the preachers. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But today I want to deal with the last clause, the the final piece of this answer that he's given. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You and your household. This clause has been said by some to, to be a teaching, a doctrine from scripture for household baptisms, particularly for infant baptisms. Those who hold to this charge. That this statement. You and your household is here. To teach us. Of household baptisms. You and your household. And it's followed by the indication in verse 33. That the jailer was baptized. And it says there if you'll notice. He And his household. And those who hold to this teaching say that this is an instance of infant baptisms. It was he and his household. Of course, there were infants in that household. And they thus see here a biblical justification for the practice of baptizing the infant children of believers. Now, let me say this here to be very fair to our. Pado Baptist infant baptizing brothers. This is believed by some to be taught in this text, and they are not the good scholars in Pado Baptism. The best scholars in Pado Baptism say this text does not teach infant baptism. Best scholars like Calvin. This text does not teach infant baptism. And the best scholars in paedo-baptism will say there are no instances of infant baptism in the New Testament. But we will see from this text, while some do hold that this text teaches household baptisms, infant baptisms, we will see, I will try to show you from this text, from the full reading of these verses in their context that this does not teach infant baptism, far from teaching paedo-baptism, this text supports the credo-baptist position, the position of the baptism of only the disciples of Christ and not of their children as well. To see this first, let's note verse 32. In verse 32... The preachers preach the gospel to the jailer. It says, together with all who were in his house. The preachers preached the gospel to the jailer together to all who were in his house. Those who were in the household, whatever their various ages may be, however many there may have been... Those who were in the household, all who were in the household, were the subjects to which the Word of God had been spoken. Clearly, subjects to which the Word of God is spoken, the subjects of the preaching of the Word, are those who are able to hear and understand. Now, if you are here this morning, and you can hear me, and you can understand what I'm saying... Let's be clear, I'm preaching to you. But as I look out, I see some who are here, H-E-R-E, and they can hear, H-E-A-R, but they are without understanding. And some I see are completely out. <laughs> some are here and then they are without understanding and they are not the ones to whom the word of God is preached. Those who were in the jailer's household were able to hear and understand the word of God as it was spoken to them by the preachers. We also note in verse 34 that when the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his home and he fed them, it says he rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his whole household. So certainly this rejoicing is happening because he has believed in God, but it says he has believed in God with his whole household. Those members of the jailer's household believed. They were cognitively able to hear and understand the words spoken to them And then one step further, they were able to believe. They were able to believe. Therefore, we must conclude that the household members who were able to hear and understand and believe were the same ones who were in verse 33 baptized. This is the same group. They heard, they understood, they believed. And verse 33 tells us they were baptized. So far from this being a case of infant baptism, this is the baptism of those who heard and understood and believed in Jesus Christ. It is the baptism of disciples of Jesus Christ. Before we leave verse 33. Uh, one more thing about this Pedo credo discussion. I know many of you know this, but it's got to be said one more time. It's not that we find Pedo baptism examples in the Scripture. There is a difference in the interpretation and the understanding of the covenants. That is the difference that, that we arrive at different points from our Pado baptist brothers. I'm calling them brothers. Why? They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are our brothers. They're just wrong about this. They would say the same thing about us as Reformed Baptists. But the differences are important, and we're not addressing all of those things here. Look at verse 33 once before we leave here. The text says that the jailer and his believing household were baptized immediately. Immediately. Now this is not an indication that they believed and they had to be immediately baptized because their salvation was dependent on their baptism. That is not what this means. That's not what this means because that wouldn't fit with other examples in scripture. We see people saved in scripture. I should say we see person. We see person saved in. We see one example in scripture of a person who comes to Jesus Christ and is saved and Jesus says, "Today you will be with me in paradise." This man is going to heaven that day and he was not baptized. Someone much smarter than me said, we have this one example in Scripture of an unbaptized believer who will enter into heaven so that we would not think for a moment that baptism does anything to get us into heaven. And we have only one example so that we don't think baptism is unimportant. Amen. Amen. It is important. Here, the jailer and his believing household were baptized immediately. When a person makes a credible profession of faith, they should be baptized without delay. Baptism should not be refused or delayed either by the new believer nor by a church we have heard of some who have believed in Jesus Christ but for some reason wish to delay baptism perhaps they're uneasy about something of a public baptism maybe there's some other reason but they're just like i'm I'm saved but I'm not ready to be baptized we had a man in our church that that said that very thing but I I knew the Holy Spirit was working and I just said, well, let's just give him a little bit. And I think it was a week later, he came back and said, okay, I got to be baptized. I got to be baptized. You remember that. Perhaps some of you here have had this very experience where you believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation, but you have delayed for, for whatever reason. Being baptized. Do not delay, believer. Speak to your pastors. Tell them that you need to be baptized. Follow the Lord. Obey the Lord in that. I've heard of some churches who delay baptism, who who determine that those who are baptized should be of a certain age. I, I think this comes from a place of frustration that so many who are baptized later fall away from the faith and in trying to repair that and trying to to fix that problem because it is a problem they don't want to address the real problem and that is that we've run too many children through the baptism without a credible profession of faith that's a longer statement and it's not in here i better keep going They don't want to fix the real problem. So they say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to say we're not baptizing anyone until they're 18 years old. It's a a problem they're trying to fix. But we have no authority to delay baptism from someone who has a credible profession of faith. And I'm, I'm using the word credible profession of faith. Because we do have to be wise, right? We can't just say everybody that says, I love Jesus, take them to the baptistry. We have to ask some questions. What, what do you mean by Jesus? <laughs> and what, is, what kind of faith do you have? Faith without repentance? Faith that is a converting faith? What, we have to ask some questions. We have to be wise, But when we see a credible profession of faith, we cannot delay baptism. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, you need to follow him. You need to obey him, obey his command by submitting to baptism. And I would add here, if you were baptized As an infant. And you have been saved. You need to be baptized scripturally. Scriptural baptism is the baptism. Of the disciples of Jesus Christ. One more observation from this section of the text. We notice a change. In the behavior. Of the jailer. Yesterday. We saw a lost man who was instrumental in the brutal beating and unlawful imprisonment of Paul and Silas. He did nothing to show mercy. He did nothing to show compassion. There was no thought for these men. Now, today, we find a disciple of Jesus Christ tenderly cleaning and dressing the wounds of these preachers. We find him bringing them to his home, seated at his table and feeding them his food. We find this Christian man in everything he does, showing mercy and showing compassion. There's been a change. Now, no person can be saved by doing good works. No person can contribute in any way to your own salvation by good deeds. But when a person is saved, changed by Jesus Christ, when they are made a new creation in Christ, that change on the inside will necessarily affect a change in behavior. A Christian is not like the person he used to be. A Christian will no longer be content to live in the sin that he used to pursue. You might find a Christian trying that out for just a minute. But you can't live like that. You cannot continue they're no longer content to live in sin. They have a new desire to live in the righteous paths of the Lord Jesus. And We see the certain undeniable change in this Philippian jailer that after he believed in Jesus Christ, He was a new creation. And it's because he was a new creation that he's changed in his behavior. Jesus described this new creation, this change to Nicodemus. And he used the term, you must be born again. You must be born from above. When Jesus saves a sinner, there is a change in that sinner. They are converted. They're not perfect. Not this side of heaven. But there is a change. Friend, hear this this word of warning. If you count yourself a Christian... And there is no change. That's not the Christianity of Scripture. That's not the salvation of the Bible. You can't change in order to save yourself. But if you are truly saved, there will be a change. In verse 35... The Philippians who were so keen yesterday to have Paul and Silas beaten and imprisoned without worrying about details like charges, defense, evidence, or even finding out the nationality of these men who were accused. Those who yesterday had that attitude now are ready to release these prisoners. But Paul gives us an example here of a Christian exercising his civil Rights. His rights under the law. Paul does not deny or denounce his Roman citizenship. Some of you have heard me lately say that we don't need to confuse our Americanism and our Christianity, we need to understand the difference. But some say that you can't be a Christian and an American. That you have to denounce all those things and you can't participate and you shouldn't vote and you shouldn't serve in the military and you shouldn't hold office. Some hold to that. We have examples in scripture of good citizens using their rights rightly as Christians. And this is one example of that. Someone called this action of Paul and Silas the first (laughs) sit-in when the magistrates call for their release Paul says no indeed let them come down here themselves and bring us out of the prison now this was peaceful and this was lawful but it was a sort of a it was a sort of a demonstration or a pushing back It it was something there It was was Paul standing up for his rights. Standing up for himself. Standing up for Silas. But it's important for us to see how and when Paul stood up for himself. Look at how he did it. Yesterday he was seized. And we have no indication that he said anything. Perhaps they didn't let him say anything but we have no indication that he spoke out. When he and Silas were beaten, there's no demand. We are Roman citizens. We don't see that there. They're imprisoned, and are they saying, I want to see my lawyer. They're saying, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. They're worshiping God. They're praying. They probably weren't singing Amazing Grace, but they were singing. Yesterday, no standing up for their rights. Like so many Christians today are so eager to do, to fight for our rights. And we fight for our rights too often in order to save ourselves. In order to save ourselves pain, to save us some suffering, to save us inconvenience, in order to give us ease, we fight for our rights. But Paul demands his rights long after. You would say it's too late, you've already been seized, beaten, imprisoned. And now you're going to stand up for your rights? Paul stands up for his rights as a Roman citizen when it is in the aid of the ministry of the gospel. Release those men from their Romans. Let's try to get them out of here now. And never come back. And Paul says no. The magistrates of Philippi wanted them out of town quickly to never return but because Paul legally and lawfully resisted the magistrate, because he conducted this demonstration as it were, they were able to return to the house of Lydia to check in, to encourage the brethren, the new believers there. I want to introduce y'all to the jailer and his household. They're able to come back there and meet with those people, that fledgling church And there would be opportunity in the future for further ministry. And that's when Paul stands up for his rights. Next time when we return to this text, we will look one last time at the jailer's question and the answer given him by the apostle. Until then, may God bless his word to our hearts and sanctify his truth. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would apply these things to our hearts. We pray that you would sanctify us, teach us. We pray, Lord, that you would draw sinners to salvation. We pray this in the name of our Savior.